Welcome to Horror and More with Anya Gore. I am your horror mistress, Anya. And tonight I have a huge horror buff who puts me to shame. Somebody who watches horror movies daily, okay, puts me to shame. I've got Pete. Do you go by Pete or Peter? Peter's fine. Peter's fine. So Peter's fine is here. Um <laughs> And uh, Peter and I actually have known each other apparently far longer than we really even realized. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Peter has a huge horror collection. And uh, he's here with me, so we're together. He has got so many horror-related tattoos. It's unbelievable. Yeah. we got Halloween, uh, Frankenhooker, um, got a Jaws one, got a Witch... Got uh, Mr. DNA from Jurassic Park. Is it on there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Got some bats and ghosts. Uh, Astro Boy and, oh. Well, who's on your leg here? Slipknot. That's from Slipknot. Okay. There is also... Uh, oh, my goodness. Frankenstein Every... and Bride of Frankenstein. Totally Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, lots of stuff. Um, Wearing a Jaws shirt, by the way. Oh, wow. Got a Senorita with some skulls and a uh, pentagram and upside down cross. Wow. So needless to say, horror is his life. Yes, it is. <laughs> life is horror. Life is, life is horror. Yes, Thank it is. Thank you. <laughs> and it, it, would, it is so fitting that tonight we are here to talk about The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. And then we'll also discuss 2011's The Thing. But this is your favorite movie. Yes, it is my favorite time. movie of all time. Since I was a child. Um... I probably saw it when I was about eight or nine years old. Yeah. Um, my dad told me about it. He saw it back in Hungary in theaters. So Ooh. back when it first came out, so in the 80s. And I remember him telling me it creeped him the hell out. And afterwards, he was scared to go near dogs <laughs> for like a month. <laughs> he saw a dog like, oh, get away from me, get away from me. You're the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> He had the same reaction when he was back then when he saw the fog. Oh my! He came out of the movie theater and there was a fog rolling in. He was like, "What the hell's going on?" That was the one that did it for me. I watched that when I was seven, <laughs> and my mom would play the fog for me, and it terrified the bejesus <laughs> out of me. Like the glowing eyes and them standing there with the machetes and the fog rolling in, and all you see is their shadows. <laughs> John Carpenter, classic. I guess, has a lot of '80s kids. Um, hearts. Oh yeah. Well, on Halloween, of course. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. How could you? How could you not feel John Cart some connection to him? Yeah. But so this will be your spoiler warning. If you have not watched John Carpenter's The Thing, I don't know what to say. But just go stop this. <laughs> go watch it. Come back. Listen to what we're going to discuss, and we're also going to be discussing the 2011 version. Um, which is not a remake, so we'll get into that once we talk about it. It's a prequel. It is a prequel, he says, with eyebrows going very (laughs) high. (laughs) I have a feeling we've got information coming on that one. Um, But yeah, so pause, go watch, come back, and listen to what Peter and I have to say about the thing. But I'm I'm just more interested to hear what you have to say about the thing (laughs) over what I have to say. Uh, All right. But so you're so so why this is your favorite is because it was one of the first for you and it's always had like a great love in your life. Well, it wasn't my first. My first was Halloween. Oh, it was okay. and I actually saw it on Halloween night 
and my parents were out. So I was by myself in the house, and it creeped the hell out of me and freaked me out. And How I was old like, were you? Seven or eight. It was just oh, shortly before 80s. the thing. <laughs> yeah, the 80s. What a time to be alive. Um, no, the reason it's been my favorite, um, I saw it, and it just had a different feel than any other horror film. Because typically with the horror films in the 80s and the 70s, you always have the teenagers having sex. There's always like the random tit shot and all that stuff. And it's like, this one's like all men. You're like, oh, okay, that's a little bit different. Um, And then the, it's a sci-fi horror film. Mm -hmm. So that kind of jives with me. Um, And I was like, as a kid, I was a fan of Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah. Love Kurt Russell. I don't know how many times I've seen Overboard. <laughs> we were. I was talking about Overboard earlier, actually. I struggle with his performance in that. <laughs> his performance in this movie is so good, and it's so strong. Well, and everyone was, in it. Absolutely. Yeah. But to me, it resonated a lot because the last few movies I've watched him in that have just kind of recently popped back up was um, like Captain Ron or <laughs> Escape from L.A. That's a classic. Which he's he, he does great movies and yeah. he's enjoyable to watch pretty much all the time. But like even in Death Proof, there are Death Proof and Overboard. There are moments where I just find he's it, he's trying too hard. It's he's overacting. It, it doesn't feel as natural for him. But the best one for him for overacting that works, Big Trouble Little China. Oh, well, the whole thing about everything about that movie is over over the top. Yeah, right? it's, a, like, it's a spoof on action genre. Absolutely, and it lands. Yes, but like for for me, the thing what what I liked about him in this role was he was such a joker on set, and then he would it would pan out, and he was just so serious. Yeah, but not in an overly intense way it was perfect for the feel of the movie yeah well i think they also felt the isolation of where it was filmed and whatnot did you know it was partly filmed here oh yeah oh oh yeah <laughs> okay, of course he does of course eventually does. i will make a pilgrimage oh. to the site <laughs> so it was for anyone who if you're still listening you haven't watched this movie it takes place in antarctica and it's the whole movie is ice cold and it's freezing and so they filmed it half in LA and then half in British Columbia which is where we are in Vancouver Canada BC in Canada but where in BC did they film do you know I can't remember but it's up north like it's like an 8 hour drive from here yeah that would make sense okay so and I I can't remember. At one point, they were still doing tours of the location Whoa. because some of the uh, buildings were still kind of halfway up in a way, cool. like the sites and stuff. So yeah, it's it's a pilgrimage thing. It's like one of the things you gotta go see. Gotta I think. go see. Yeah. Between that, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre barbecue <laughs> gas station. I yeah. I um, and hunt down the Evil Dead cabin. What's left of the it? Evil Dead cabin. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Is there still some of it out there? Um, I've what I've heard from people in the horror community that have gone there in the last so many years. There's part of the um, uh, fireplace. Okay. Is the way you can tell what it is, and a little bit of the foundation, but mm-hmm. not too much left right. of it. I mean, he burnt the cabin down after the film was done. Fair. <laughs> Air. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> like, yeah. Bye. I mean, they were probably all high on what 
What were they doing? TCP yeah. or whatever it was. Who knows? Whatever they could get their hands on. Exactly. They probably thought it was beautiful. Yes. <laughs> but, um, okay, so this has been a huge, just a huge overall film. I'm surprised you don't have a thing tattoo. That will be coming. Um, if you notice, my right, or sorry, my left arm is oh, it's, practically empty. It is? Oh, is it going to be a big one? It's going to be three-quarter sleeve. Okay. It's going to be the thing. What um, it, What image? Or do you not it's, know? It's good. Well, the idea was is multiple images, but the idea is to start at the bottom with the camp on fire, mm. like mm-hmm. kind of going around and the smoke coming up, and in the smoke have various images Oh, like the, the three head and or the, so the Blair monster, yeah, the spider head. Yeah, um, got to have one of McCready with the flamethrower. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just various stuff like that around. Um, what sucks was the artist I was originally going to have do it moved out of town. Oh no! So I got to find a new artist to do it, um, and it's also one of those things you got to find the right person for it. Absolutely, because I want it to be hyper realistic. I mean, somebody who knows. And also as a fan be, of the movie, too. Yeah, and that would be the best yeah. bet. Wow. So eventually it's coming. It's coming. I can't wait to see pictures when you <laughs> post them. If, if you post them. <laughs> oh, I'll post them. Eventually I'll post them. <laughs> so what I like about this movie is it launches into a sense of dread immediately. There is just no holding back on this one. Yeah, it just starts out with these guys in a chopper chasing down a dog trying mm-hmm. to shoot it. And throw grenades at it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what, what the fuck? The, what the hell's going on? What did that dog do to you? Mm-hmm. I love how ambiguous it is. And you don't even connect the dot necessarily at the end until you've stopped watching it. And then you're like, oh, that's where they were going. But what's f- crazy about it is apparently if you speak Norwegian, mm-hmm. the Norwegian who's trying to shoot the dog goes, Get away from it. The dog's not really a dog. Yeah. Like, he I've pretty much spoils that. it. In the whole... I That was one of the fun facts that I read, actually, was, yeah, he says it right in the beginning. Yeah. But you don't actually have But they don't subtitle idea. it or anything. Of course yeah. not. So, it would have been funny if, you know, they're playing in Norway and the people are like, so the dog's an alien? Like, okay, <laughs> that just ruined the whole film. <laughs> Very subtle, John. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, like I found out, um, I had always been under the impression that John Carpenter did all of his music for his films. That's what I thought as well at one point, until I started looking into it as well, and I was like, oh, he did do the music for this. And then you listen to the music, or like, and you find out who actually did the music for this one, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those listening, the composer is, I apologize if I butcher this, Ennio... Mericone? <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible at pronouncing that too, but <laughs> if you need to know, he's the same composer who did The Good, The Bad, or The Ugly. Yeah, I wrote down here, he did a, a whole bunch, actually. He did A Fistful of Dollars, The Good, The Bad, The Untouchables, and then Dario Argenta's Animal Trilogy, which I don't know that. Do you? It's one of the more obscure ones. I mean, uh, NCO is Italian, Argento's Italian, so they work together. So I, I do have. I think he did Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Oh, I've heard of that. I yeah, think he, I think he might have done that one as well. Um, which I have on vinyl. I got to double check because it, it, it is an NCO 
soundtrack, but he did a lot of soundtracks, freakish amounts. And he also did Hateful Eight. Yes. <laughs> which, which I... Bring uh, it up, it's a perfect time. <laughs> so, me personally, I feel that Hateful Eight is very heavily a remake of John Carpenter's The Thing. And my reasoning for it is, you got the same lead actor, mm-hmm. same composer. Mm-hmm. Both both uh, movies take place in a frozen Arctic type area. Nobody trusts anybody. Mm-hmm. It's a who's who type thing. And it's it's similar in that it kind of seems to jump from person to person, kind of unknowingly. Yeah, and it's also like hateful eight to all pretty well all takes place aside from the beginning in one cabin Mm -hmm. and the thing is in one camp Mm -hmm. so it's a very much uh what my my friend calls them sandbox movies yeah where they take place in one room or one area type thing so i mean granted there's no alien in hateful eight unlike the thing but i mean that we know of you you never know (laughs) you never channing tatum he might have been the alien (laughs) (laughs) With Quentin, there's always hidden layers to things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he always pays homage to his favorite movies yes. and all of his. So I can absolutely picture him manically vibrating and saying, guys, we need to add this element to it because, you know. I love John Carpenter, so it's got to so happen. Much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Get me Kurt Russell. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you talked about um, a theory because, hold on, let me find this. Sorry for all of the page turning. I'm an old page person. Um, there are theories about the ending of this. There's oh, a yes. Whole, a whole mess of them. Um, oh, oh, hold on. Where is it? Oh, yeah. One of the theories that I wondered about, and you've obviously probably heard this, so I'll, I'll tell you, I'll read it to you, and then you tell me your thoughts on it. But the biggest fan favorite theory, because the ending doesn't actually end. You don't know it, like where if they're either more thing or not exactly, and where they're headed. If they got out, are they stuck there? You just you don't know. And so, a fan favorite is that um, McCready hands Childs a bottle of scotch, and it's said that this bottle is filled with gasoline and not scotch. And as Child and Childs drinks it, and because he isn't the thing, he doesn't react. And so that's how he knows. You mean because he doesn't react, he is the thing. He isn't the thing. No, he is the thing. It, this one said isn't. No, because with gasoline, he would react. If no. he was the thing. Well, he'd react if he was human as well. Well, see, that's the theory that, that, that that's where I, I, I don't know. Do you see, believe that? Like, So the, I, I've heard that rumor. You have. I've heard that because it's like, because he had the Molotovs around. Yeah. And whatnot. And um, <clears throat> that he hands him the bottle. Because you never actually see McCready drink out of the bottle. Never. And so he hands it to him and he drinks out. He doesn't say a word. And then McCready kind of has a smirk. Right after. And then he says, like, let's wait and like, see. Yeah, I guess we'll wait and see. Exactly. And so there's that. There's also another thing that I had read where um, people that were real and not the thing had a kind of a light in their eye. Like a reflection or something? Like just kind of like a white spot in their eye, like of a reflection or something. Okay. And if they didn't have that, it was just like just blackish. Oh, well, now I have to go back and watch it again. Right? So, like, Did you notice that then? I noticed that McCready had the white in his eye. The entire time? Yeah. 
So I think McCready wasn't infected. I think Childs probably was. Mm. Um, but again, it's... I don't even know if Carpenter knows mm-hmm. if either one was. He just kind of was being a little shit and be like, I'm going to leave it ambiguous and have just piss everybody off for years to come. Well, I read, I read that he said that. I, apparently, <laughs> apparently he filmed three different endings. Of course. And he went, he decided he wanted the most ambiguous one because he didn't want to give closure to people. No. I lo- See, I love that about him. <laughs> I do. I love endings like that. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Because it leaves it kind of open to interpretation. Just also that it's like, it's not over. It's like the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. He shoots him. He falls off the balcony. He looks down. He's gone. And then the music starts playing. And that's it. Um, Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. He's walking away, ripping the tape up that they needed. Yeah. And having a smoke. And he just walks away. You're like, wait a minute. They're not going to like that. You know, I just, do find this one is more. Well, sorry, <laughs> this one is more ambiguous, though, right? This one is kind of. Well, everybody could could be fine, but where, with Halloween, for example, you know he's not dead, so you yeah. know that it was going to carry on. And then anybody who knows about um, his intention for the original Halloween movies, you know that it was meant to continue, yeah, um, or to continue into other stories. But this one, I feel like with that ending. You're kind of left like you want more, but I don't feel like he was ever going to give you more. So you can kind of get more. Okay. In a way. Okay. So in the early 2000s, the days of PlayStation 2, there was a thing game. I've heard about this. And it's a continuation of the movie. Oh. Um, It was actually a really cool game. I can't remember for life me how it ends, so I got it. You can probably look it up on YouTube now. Somebody doing a playthrough. But the idea of the game was you're a group of soldiers that fly into the camp after it's burnt down Mm -hmm. to find out what the hell happened. And as you're going through the camp, you find, at one point, you find McCready's tape that he plays. He was like, I'm going to hide this tape after I'm done. No one trusts anybody. So play that soundbite stuff. And then you come across the burnt out building and you see Child's frozen body sitting there. But McCready's is gone. Okay. So, and then you got to go after him and find out what's going on. Oh. And as you're playing, you come across remnants of the thing still alive. Cool. And the other cool thing with the game was your team has to trust you. Yeah. So you can't leave people alone by themselves or else when you come back, they won't trust you or you can't leave them alone. Oh, that sounds so stressful. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so, and I can't remember the life of me if the game ending was that McCready is the thing Mm. Or not. Um, I'll have to go back and find it. But there was also a comic book adaptation in the 90s. Oh. That continued the story. Didn't have anything to do with the video game. But in that one, Childs is the thing. And McCready's going after him, trying to stop him. Oh, interesting. And it was a very limited run. Like I think there was like... First run was two issues, and there was a four issue, then there was a six issue, and that was it. Oh. Um, kind of hard to find, but... They are the artwork's phenomenal in the. First I believe movie. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so, depending which canon you go with, it's Childs like, or it's McCready. <laughs> I like though that they didn't really do another movie because they could have, and it just wouldn't have landed the same way. Oh, never does. Never, never, right? And and what I what I like about this is it, you can go back and watch it again if you're feeling that 
I need more. I want more of this. And rewatch that and pick up on the things that you missed. Yeah. Like I, like I was telling you, because we both have rewatched it to kind of refresh our mm-hmm. memory and stuff. And I, not that long ago, picked up the 4K of it. And so I popped that in. And if you haven't seen it on 4K, pick it up. It looks gorgeous. I mean, that's the thing with this movie, why I love it so much, is it looks so good. Mm-hmm. That I find with some movies, when you get the 4K, you notice the imperfections. And that's what makes these movies great, or the imperfections. Well, the imperfections are fine, but when it accentuates them too much, oh. it'll take you out of it. Oh, I see. It makes you so removed because you're focused on those. Like, like you know, e- sure, Evil Dead, the eyeball flying across the room, you just see the string. It's funny, but if you see too much of it and yeah. it's too cleaned up, it, it takes you out of it, right? Whereas this one, um, I'm not sure what they filmed it on, but it was like great film that they filmed it on because it was super detailed mm. and it looks great. Like, I mean, when they show the autopsy scenes of the creature, yeah. Like, the detail in it is phenomenal. Phenomenal. And again, it's all practical effects. I know. Oh, the practical effects. Because you see, you, you see the textures. I had, actually, a fun fact about some of the body parts. Because, man, the practical effects in this. Like, even watching it with a today's eye, I mean, sure, it doesn't look real. You yeah. know, it, there's moments where it's cheesy and you can see that he used this sped up. Yeah. Um, the stop motion. But when you're actually looking that somebody's wearing parts of those sort of things yeah. and they're bursting open and the details are incredible. Yeah. Like, so one of the scenes, so they had an amputee was used in this. Yes. In this when, scene. He, when, when, uh, what's his name gets his arms bitten off. Yeah. When he's trying to do the paddles on the guy's chest and he just rips his arms the off. The defibrillator. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, fun fact for for those listening, that in the defibrillator scene, when uh, Copper tries to restart Norris's heart as he lies on the medical table, Norris reveals himself as the thing and bites off Cooper's arm or Copper's arms at the elbow. So the amputee, I guess, was standing in front of him with the mask of copper on it you can tell kind of briefly that you can see it's it's not not him him, it's somebody else exactly yeah and then they bloodied up his amputated arms and that's how it appeared in the final film yeah um but i thought this was all super interesting about the effects because you know obviously the big budget was for the effects of this movie so the effects expert was 23 years old which is insanely young i think for such a high budget and i think a lot of it was like he was figuring out on the fly on the fly yeah Yeah. so i guess um as part of the materials they used flammable parts and carpenter decided he wanted real flames in it and as a result (laughs) one of the models used for norris's body caught fire and it was destroyed and it took them four months to build so they had one week to build the replacement and they (laughs) did it and this guy rob Boughton, Boughton, I think is his name. Yeah. Ended up working 22-hour days and moved into the set. Wow. To finish all of that. And then he ended up being hospitalized with severe exhaustion, double pneumonia, and a bleeding ulcer from the stress of this film. Why not? (laughs) But, like, kudos to him. So, originally, the budget for the effects was 200000 which then jumped to seven hundred and fifty thousand, and eventually they ended up spending one point five million on just the effects. 
but it's worth it. Hundred <laughs> percent worth it. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Like one of the standout things to me in this movie are the effects. Yeah. Hundred percent. And I think it sets such a good tone for horror movies after that. Yeah. Which one's your favorite? Um, the effect in it. Like which which version of the creature is your favorite in it? Oh God. Uh, well, what do we have? So we had the dog. The dog, the uh, the spidery thing. No, the Norris had spider head. The no- <laughs> I can't remember what they. I saw that they the the chest the, the part coming the out of Norris's line. chest. Yeah. Um, the Blair monster at the end. Wh- which one was the one that were kind of mutated into? Was that the the Norris one? Where it's like you almost see the two faces. Well, that was the that was the uh, Norwegian camp. With the two faces that were melting together. Yeah. That was, that was that was the, the corpse from the Norwegian camp. So you don't Gosh, see anything else other than that of it and the autopsy. Okay. There's the, um, oh, what's his name? When he's tied to the chair and he starts bleeding. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his head opens up and he bites <laughs> the other guy's head and picks him up and flings him around. I don't know. I think the most memorable to me was the dog one, I think. But the spider one is fucking cool. Yeah, spider one's spider one of my favorites. Yours, yeah. yeah. The only reason I didn't say that right away was because in one part where the face kind of was like contorting its face, it sort of looked like it was melting a little bit. It probably was. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I, it, it didn't necessarily look intentional. And so I felt like it kind of took away a little bit mm-hmm. but all the creepy angled legs and how fast they were flailing it's also I, cool. I actually have the uh mcfarland action figure of that do you oh yeah i got a bunch of the action figures for it oh that's really cool i'm, obs- like I'm obsessed that. with it i mean yeah. come on <laughs> yeah it's there's so many the visuals in this movie are so inspiring yeah and the stop motion on it and everything oh oh totally I, yeah I have, I have something on the stop motion here too but one of the things that I love, I love reading fun facts about actors who just completely submerse themselves into character. And one of the things I found out was, I guess, um, for some reason, Kurt Russell was not as warm all the time. So his breath wasn't as clear. Oh. So he would often just inhale a cigarette right as John Carpenter would yell action. And then <laughs> it would be cigarette smoke that would be coming out instead of his actual breath. Like, I okay. love hearing that. That is a commitment to your craft to do things like that. No kidding all the time <laughs> yeah um do you know about how they filmed or shot the sounds of the dogs do you hear about this one i might have what what, what do you got um okay so hold on where is it here i mean i can tell it to you off memory but I want to read what I wrote, so it's a little <laughs> bit more. Okay, hold on. Where was it? Oh. oh, you lost it. Yeah. Well, basically what it was is there was this one. Oh, here we go. Okay. Uh, so I guess Colin, the, the sound designer, Colin Moat wanted to get the realism of the dog barks for the kennel. Yeah. And so he rounded up as many stray dogs as he could find. He put them into his house. Oh, jeez. Locked them in, dressed into a trench coat, and walked around the outside of the house tapping in the windows to frighten them. Oh. And so they're legitimately frightened 
sounds freaking out from dogs. Whoa. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah, that's intense. What to do with the dogs afterwards? I don't know. I can only imagine when he opened that door. <laughs> he just ran. They, they, they left out the part about the trench coat being lined with, like, you know, big pillows or something so he wasn't attacked. <laughs> but those are the things that I think make a movie like this because the sound in this movie. Yeah. <sighs> being that it's set in such a desolate environment where there isn't the sounds of nature or anything really happening no. like you you constantly hear the wind going and then everything else you can hear like somebody's walking in the snow you get to hear the crunching oh, the crunch yeah. oh yeah yeah it's very satisfying when you actually just sit and, and it, when movies are quiet yeah and then it makes those details just a hair more scary and also uh watching it today like just the sh- the exterior shots are just so gorgeous. Like the, even though it's out in the middle of freaking nowhere, it's just super gorgeous Stunning. environment. Everything, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And there's not a lot of movies either that have that Antarctic setting when it comes to horror movies. No, it's, it's very rare. It is. And I it's mean, there's. <laughs> well, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the ship that gets stranded at the end that, or in the beginning that, is the end of the movie. Yeah, um, but yeah, you don't get a lot of Arctic horror. No, is it the horror? Uh, the is it Forty Days of Night or something like that? Yeah, Thirty Days of Night. Thirty Days of Night. That's I love that movie. Yeah, that that's, was a that's a great one. Fine. Oh yeah, that's a good version of a vampire. That that main guy. But yeah, it's not it's just the, the whole idea like you were talking about earlier where they're it is so they're stranded there they they can't really take off and it all happens so fast yeah that there's not really time because i was watching this going well why are you guys just fucking leaving but there's not really time for them to figure out who they can even leave with and who they can trust to leave with well that another thing too what's his name freaks out and is like all right nobody can leave because yeah. he does his little computer bit and 75% chance somebody in the group is already infected. So he's like, okay, no one can leave. So that's when he starts trashing all the equipment. Yeah. And so to make sure no one can leave because he's already of the mind that no matter what, we can't leave here because if one gets out, the human race is toast. Toast. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just the idea of the whole being stuck there. Yeah. In that cold, cold place. Oh. And of course, at the end, it it takes away the generator and then it starts to get cold yeah yeah i know i know (laughs) it's scary um i did find out that originally universal pictures did not want john carpenter to direct this movie they wanted toby hooper who did texas chainsaw massacre for those of you who don't know apparently they wanted him so badly that toby hooper submitted two drafts of a screenplay Oh, wow. Yeah. But then the studio didn't like either of them, so they went with John Carpenter. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness this movie would have been very different. Oh, 100%. I mean, I don't know. Has, has Topher ever even done a sci-fi type alien film? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, I. what I read was the reason they wanted him was to be on to do this was he had just signed a contract with them to do I guess more than one film Uh, Texas Chainsaw was the first one so they 
were like, well, he's on contract with us. Maybe that meant that his fees would be lower or something. I, I don't Maybe, really know. Yeah. But yeah, this wouldn't have landed for him. No way. No. No. Hmm. Um, what other things did I think of I want to ask you about? Um, so what I... So, okay. When I watched this the last time, I think it was probably over 20 years ago. And then I watched the thing from 2011 mm -hmm. not that long ago maybe five years ago okay so i felt like when i went back and rewatched this one after having seen the prequel i liked the beginning even more than i did the first time i watched it because the first upon first watch when you see these people chasing the dog you're kind of really focused on the people and not about the dog yeah and when I went into it this time, I, I was like really focused on the dog because now you know. Something's up with it. Something's up with the dog. Yeah. And it just, I it had a different feel going into this watch. And I liked that. So I have strong opinions about the 2011 You one. mentioned that. <laughs> I would love to hear your strong opinions about it, please. So I was so gung-ho for it. When it got announced, I was like, yes, this could be great. I'm going to have more thing. I can't wait for this. I went and saw it in theaters and everything. And I walked out going, what the hell? Okay. And so, I mean, it felt like, and I've watched the making of stuff on it and to kind of get a background about it and stuff. And I was watching all the making of stuff before it was even released because they would show little clips on YouTube and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is looking really good and stuff. And, I mean, re-watching it recently again, prepping for this, um, the film felt like they were trying to... They were doing the prequel, but they were trying to remake parts of the Carpenter one. Yeah. Because there were some scenes that were, like, almost a almost carbon identical. copy. Yeah. Like, for example, the one that really sticks out in the original Carpenter thing when everything starts to go to hell in the beginning and uh, what's-his-name's on the radio trying to get a hold of somebody and can't get a hold of anybody and then El Capitan's behind him hounding him like, what do you mean you can't get a hold of anybody? Keep trying, keep trying. And he's like, I can't, it's been so long. Mm -hmm. And they literally had almost the exact same conversation this one when everything goes to hell in the beginning and at the Norwegian camp they're like, the guy's trying to get a hold of somebody, no answer. He's like, what are you doing? Keep trying. He's like, I'm trying, no one's getting, I can't get a hold of anybody. And it's just such a yeah. similar scene, and it's some of the stuff felt kind of like they were trying to copy Kurt Russell in a way, and it just didn't hit for me. And also, how they, as far as I'm concerned, kind of screwed up a lot of stuff. Okay. Like in the Carpenter one, they find the Norwegian tapes, mm -hmm. and they show them blowing up the ice to expose the spaceship. And then finding the thing or whatever, and you know, and then taking it back. The prequel shows them falling through a break in the ice and finding the ship underground. Mm -hmm. And then blowing it up and kind of messing it up. And then they find the thing off to the side. Um, nowhere did I see anybody with a camera filming anything. <laughs> I never thought about that. So, where did the footage come from that Kurt Russell and them find? If no one was filming anything in the prequel, 
could could they have preemptively maybe put cameras on <laughs> the vehicle that they were driving? I don't know. That no, is... they, 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 you don't even see the, the vehicles when they find it in the footages and stuff. You yeah. see them going around. You see them blowing yeah, it up. Yeah. You see them posing. There's a photo of the yeah. Norwegians posing with the block of ice taken out of the ice. Yeah, that that's a big hole. Actually. I didn't see anybody taking photos of anybody or anything. Or <laughs> maybe it was the aliens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing that bugged me is well, there's a few other things that bugged me, but it felt like as you're watching the film, when there's ten minutes left, they kind of went, "Oh shit, this is a prequel to the thing. We better." Wrap it up. Better wrap it up and connect everything. So yeah. quickly, here's the axe in the wall. Here's the guy frozen who just slit his throat and slit his wrists. Here's a camp on fire and the creature out in the thing. Have it the just, dog go running. And then let's get the dog running and the guy go after him. And I'm like... Yeah. And also the thing I noticed is they did the foreshadowing of the case of grenades. Which I was like, okay, you know, I appreciate that. That's... The foreshadowing thing. But then if you watch the Kurt Russell, when he they're looking through the wreckage of the chopper, he says he counted like 15 cans of kerosene. Oh. Well, when did, uh, at the end of the prequel, did he have time to grab the case of grenades and 15 cans of kerosene to throw in there? No, they wouldn't. He just grabbed the case of grenades. You see him running in with it. Oh. So there's stuff like that. And also, you know. Damn. The special effects. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did read something about the special effects, which I think redeemed a hair for me in this one. Um. Okay, so first of all, initially they filmed it using cable-operated animatronic robots. Yeah, I, and I saw all those making of stuff. But then the test screenings led them to replace almost all of them with cgi what test screening subjects were there to say this would be better with cgi you lose with the cgi you lose that natural texture it was so disappointing to watch this movie after having seen the thing yeah because you're looking at it you're like they made it work why can't you yeah and it's pretty much what it's been lately is studio involvement. Yeah, it really seems that way. It's They're so like, sad. They want to force the movie out, so they want to get it done faster. So they're cutting corners, essentially. And what sucked was, if you can look up on YouTube, there's a lot of unused practical effects that they made for it. They even made... Uh, a creature in the spaceship mm -hmm. that was this weird like floral vagina looking creature didn't use any of it in the film well I did didn't I see that they took some of those animatronics and actually used them in another film yes yeah, so because the special effects crew was so pissed off with the CGI because even they were like this is not what we wanted to yeah. release. Like, this is bullshit. So they did a Kickstarter for a movie called Harbinger Down with Lance Henriksen. And the goal of it was to make a movie with practical effects. Little to no CGI. Okay. And so it's actually a really good film. Is it? Yep. 
Definitely okay. check it out. Those listening, go check it out and report back. Harbinger down. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's actually really good because it it feels like the thing. Because it's a similar premise. This okay. alien creature that's like tentacly and stuff. Mm-hmm. Except they're on a ship in the Arctic that gets stranded. Right, okay. So you still have that isolation feeling of it and whatnot. Um, yeah, it was actually good fun film. Um, I'm glad. Could have been a sequel to the thing. I'm glad to hear that they were upset about that, you know? Well, I mean, you got to think. It's like, we did all this work, and you're not using any of it. Well, as you were saying that, you know, like, studios want to cut corners and stuff, you would think that they've lost money by having all of these effects artists create everything and then actually film parts of it, and then go back and add CGI, the volume of additional work and money that they would have to put into that doesn't make sense to me. No, it doesn't. And I mean, when you look at um, some of the special effects shot, like they were like the scene where it's the torso walking backwards, like spider walking towards the guy and then melting face together. And you see the special effects of them and they have the torso going towards and moving and it looks natural. And, I mean, that's the other thing. It's, like, the difference between Carpenters and the prequel Mm -hmm. was the creature is running full tilt. Yeah. Like, you know, 28 days later, zombies. Yeah, they're going fast. Yet in Carpenters, it's not. It's more slower-ish kind of moving around. I guess it also represents the time of when this came out. In 2011, everybody was doing everything about Dawn of the Dead and 28 Days Later. Everything's got to run fast, 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 yeah. yeah. I don't think that that worked for them, you know? Like, like just knowing the effects, you know? the They should have just had people... Yeah, it's it's disappointing. It is really disappointing yeah. because I felt like I, when I went into watching the thing 2011, I had no idea it was a prequel. I thought it was a remake, uh-huh. and I didn't realize kind of until I guess the f- main female lead started kind of coming into it more regularly, and I was like, okay, this is not actually him as a new character. This is yeah. a different version yeah. of where this. Is, potentially could have started where it goes to. But one thing I was a little bit confused about was the dog. So like there's all these Norwegian camps just up there. Like how many Norwegian camps are we talking here? You know, like, cause well, it's, it it's went from one. one camp to the next though. Right. No, no. The movie starts out with them in the real world here. Right. Cause they talk about how they've, this ship crashes and they're going up to the Norwegian camp. So it's only the one camp. But then what the dog was already there. So where's he running in from? Well, and running out from? Because at the beginning of John Carpenter's The Thing, he's running up there. Well, yeah. because it's so, so the Norwegian camp had the dogs. Because mm-hmm. they all had dogs for sleds. Right. And so that's where the dog ran away from. But where, why did he come running back? Well, no. He was running to Carpenter's, the American camp. Oh, that well, so that so there was a Norwegian camp and then an American camp. Yeah, yeah. So how many camps are up there? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. Like, who knows? It's uh, that that part of it was a little off to me because, like, so theoretically, the thing was an alien that came down and landed in a spaceship, and yeah. they don't have any idea how many of them there were, but yeah. seemingly one. Yeah, that kind of got everybody. 
mm-hmm. and then leaves. Yeah. And just runs, keeps running. This alien that can bring a spaceship down yeah. is stuck in a body. At, something about that felt like I liked the connection, but there just wasn't enough for me to believe that an alien would just be like, oh, let's just stay in this husky here just go for a run see what we come across and find because well, he didn't know there was another camp there no but it was also being chased which is why it ran not yet though not no a- it was getting chased remember at the end of the prequel the guy gets the gun and they're in the chopper he's like we got to chase that dog because he's already trying to right the dog and down. then he goes to the other camp and then yeah. their whole thing blows up right yeah. okay right so he's running but again like he's an alien why is he running from <laughs> It is a weird thing because if you think about it, it's like it can regenerate. Yes. Like they even say in the Carpenter one, like when they torch the bodies. It's still regenerated. It's it's still, the cells are still active. Like it's not dead. And every part of it is a individual, can be an individual being. Exactly. So. Like, yeah, they, they did find that, um, which I, I thought was an interesting concept and really realistic that humans would figure out what it real quickly what it is that actually can hurt this thing. Yeah. And it was fire. Yeah. And so that was great. But again, like they're up in the chopper taking guns to this thing. <laughs> like, like, yeah. <laughs> but you did take grenades. <laughs> but of course, if it blows that thing up, then all the cells are in various little spots all over the place. And then they just continue and go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know. I, I loved the idea. Okay, so you've seen the original. Yeah, the 1951 the thing from outer space. Mm-hmm. So talk about that version of it. So that one, um, funny enough, the intro screen is the same one Carpenter used, where it says the thing and it kind of burns into place. Oh, I love that. And the original one did the same thing, but it's, and of course it says from outer space underneath yeah. it. <laughs> okay. And... A similar idea where it's like um, it's a American camp, except in this one, the ship crashes at that point. It's not a ship that crashed hundred thousand years ago. Mm. So they go out there to see what it is, and it's something that's crashed into this sh- ship. But it was so hot it melted the ice, and the ice hardened around it. Okay, because it's the Arctic, so it's super cold. So they of course blow it up to get it out, and they also find the creature outside of it and so they get the block of ice and they bring it back to their camp and um somebody stupidly puts an electronic blanket over top of it and thaws it out now the difference with that one and the carpenter one the creature is more of a frankenstein lumbering monster and it's not like a um it's it's not a not trying to copy people, mm. but it can replicate. Because in that one, a funny thing happens: the creature gets its arm bitten off by a dog, and they find that uh, they take the arm to study it, and they get blood on it, and it starts to come back to life and move. So they bury it in dirt and keep <laughs> feeding it blood, and these plants grow out of it with little bulbs that are pulsating. I love that. Just the visual of that. I want to see it. It's 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 a cool visual. And then they realize that those creatures, that each one of those things is a creature. 
so it can replicate itself. So most likely in that one, the creature was sent to Earth to wipe us out, to take over, essentially. Um, yeah, and in that one, they end up killing the creature with electricity. Oh. Yeah. Electricity did it in... It, it walks between these two posts that they have wired up, and when it goes through it, they hit the little thing, and the electrical current hits it and kills it. Okay, and it's so you said it's like a Frankenstein, like it's a long, it's humanish. Yeah, it's a long lumbering creature. I'm like, <laughs> okay. making the weird screamy noises and stuff. Of yeah, uh, but also in that one, it does the same thing where it wants it to be cold, not hot. Right. Okay. So it starts messing with their camp to take the power away, so the so the heat uh, gets colder. I wish they would touch upon the concept of why they would humans would assume that these aliens would want everything cold. Well, because like he says in in the Carpenter one, he just wants it to be cold so he can go to sleep. Why would he want to go to sleep? Well, if you think about it, if it gets too cold, all the humans freeze to death. A rescue team comes Mm. in. There's more humans. More humans. Ah. With transportation. To get out. Interesting. So, you know, it, they, it essentially kills everything off, mm-hmm. waits for the other ones to come, gets a ride back, mm-hmm. and then goes to town. See, I like I like the concept of alien beings being so advanced that they wouldn't just naturally know those sort of things. Yeah. And I, I do wish in some of these horror movies that they would kind of delve a little bit more into the human thought processes about all of that because if yeah. you're sitting stuck someplace and you're really trying to figure this thing out so you can survive yeah you would think that all of that would really be brought up and delved into though they're in a constant state of fear so maybe not yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean with the prequel one of the things i appreciated was they actually used a bunch of norwegian actors mm-hmm which was cool. Um, one being the ginger wildling from Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, I noticed him. Yeah. I didn't realize he was Norwegian. Yeah. Um, He's the one that was obsessed with whatever her name of something of Troy. The tall one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, mean, I appreciated that. But again, like, they didn't need to have Americans in yeah. it. Like, oh, Americans got to come in and help out. It's like, don't need that. It's most Norwegian. Couldn't it just be all Norwegians and that's it? You know, you don't have to, you know, Mm -hmm. leave it at that. One of the things that I kept seeing as a recurring theme about people saying about the the 2011 one was they appreciated, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, (laughs) that it was a woman that was very Ripley-esque. You know, um, being the main character and being the one that kind of gets through everything. And she's the one that's able to pick out where the thing ended at the very end. And she, you know, like the, I guess, final girl, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, for me, it doesn't matter in this case. Like, because she didn't make it. She still dies. That's true. (laughs) Technically, nobody survives, like you know. Yeah. It's just like when you watch Star Wars Rogue One. You love these characters, but you know they're all going to die. <laughs> True. <laughs> right? So it's it's just one of those things. Um, but, I mean, 
I can appreciate when they have like a strong female, you know, character in the in the films and whatnot. But sometimes I feel that it's too forced. It doesn't come yeah. as naturally. Well, that like, that's how it felt to me in this like, one. With Ripley, it just felt natural. It just yeah. is what it is. And, yeah, I don't know. It just... And Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. It just felt natural. Mm-hmm. This one, it felt kind of like forced in a way, almost. Like, you had her as the main one, and you had the one of the girl from the Norwegians. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and that was another thing that pissed me off when she transforms behind her mm-hmm. the terrible cgi terrible terrible and also there was no reason for her to be transforming really like that. not like that no. because the only time when the carpenter one the creature transforms like that is when it's being attacked mm-hmm. if you if, if you remember the ending of it um the uh when blair's running around underground with them and i can't remember what the guy's name is but he grabs him and he jams his fingers into his face yes and then he sees him dragging him away yeah he didn't fully transform and reveal himself he just did enough to grab and hold of him yeah whereas in the prequel she like full-on opens her head up in this tentacle (laughs) thing and go back and something it was a cool idea effect wise because a very lovecraft feeling and whatnot but the CGI was like crap, and there was no reason for it. Like, mm-hmm. she literally had her back to her; she just grabbed her and absorbed her. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't in fear of being right hurt of being, being exposed yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Like, it, it did feel. I yeah, I do agree that there was a lot of like watching this one the first time, thinking it was a remake. There were a lot of things where I was like, why did they do this choice? Oh, why did they do this choice? But now knowing it was a prequel, I'm like, okay, I guess they went into it trying really hard to ensure that it wasn't seen as a remake. And it felt forced yeah. because of that. I just don't buy that at the time frame of whenever this was, the 70s or the early 80s, that there were these women there at that time. I just don't buy that. Because it's supposed to be 82. They're so, like, what kind of, they just, it would have been all men. It would yeah. have been. It would have 100% been all, been all men. It would have been one of those, like, this is no place for women type thing. And, 100%. And that's just how it was back then. Yeah. So it's like, you know, uh, yeah. Again, forced. Yes. And, you know, I didn't even really think about all of those things until we were just talking about it. Now I'm kind of like, yeah, like, I remember really enjoying it the first time I watched it because when I walked away from it at the end, it was very different than what I went into it thinking. Yeah. So there's always, you know, it's always good going into a movie when you don't really know a lot about it. Yeah. But this time around and talking about it with you, yeah, I don't like it as much as I did. (laughs) And also, I mean, it's, it's the whole idea where, uh, you know, you got to put a pretty face in there. Come on, I, I I know what's what's the the whole Hollywood studio things. Yeah, like we're gonna yeah throw a woman in there and make her like not sexual or anything like that. Make her like Ripley, right? Yeah. Like she's this badass woman who for some reason can you know suddenly have all of this elevated knowledge of all these weapons, which would yeah. again have happened in the eighties. Um, but she can kind of outlive most of the men there and she's the one who can kind of piece everything together. Um, but it just, 
it I can't even remember where I was going with that because it just riles me up. <laughs> <laughs> but oh yeah, the studios. I just feel like they're making the wrong decisions for who their target audience is. People yeah. aren't watching The Thing 2011 going into this going, ooh, this looks like a cool popcorn slasher. Yeah, no. You're appealing to The Thing fans. Yeah. Sure, you want to get some new fans, but the, that, one, the, 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 the majority of the fans watching it will be the people who watched and grew up with the old one. Yes. Like, it's just, it's wildly surprising to me sometimes the lack of connection that the studios have with their actual audiences. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's evident with a lot of films nowadays, though. It's becoming more prevalent. I mean... The new Halloween series. Oh, I feel like we have to save that for another episode. Yeah. (laughs) Did you like any of the new three? The first one. Yeah. First one I loved, and the first 10, 15 minutes of the second one. Mm-hmm. And the last five minutes of the third one. Oh, the lo- you liked the ending of that, eh? Because it was Michael and he went brutal. <laughs> but that was it. And I was like, but for the... Wait, sorry. The, at the end of the third? Yeah. So when he actually dies? Yeah. That's not the way he was going to fucking die. He's not going to die from that. No, but it's like... It also felt like those three, like the budget just started to disappear oh. more and more as it went along. Like the third one felt Agreed. like an independent <laughs> made for TV movie. And I just it literally felt so like, what, what, what's happening here? Like, I don't understand. And Jamie Lee Curtis's acting, what the fuck happened? Oh. She was unwatchable. She gave up. She did give up. Yeah. She's like, oh, I agreed to do three of these. Fine, I'll finish it up. That's what it felt like. 100%. The first one, it was like, Falls out great. The production was amazing. The acting was great. The effects were gory as hell. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was just all around amazing. Like when I saw that, I was like, "Oh my god, it's back! <laughs> it's great!" And then we went and watched the second one, and I was like, "What the fuck did I just watch?" <laughs> A lot of people hated that one. Well, the um, scene at the end where they're all curb stomping it. I know. And also, he just kicks their ass, I and know. I'm like, "What the hell?" I will say I appreciated the vigilante aspect they took of it because I do think if legitimately there was a smaller community that was being plagued by this, that they would actually do that. But it was so overplayed in it. I know. Well, in the whole like you you could have a drinking you could have a drinking game of about every time they say "Hello, evil (laughs) dies tonight," and have a drinking game for when every time somebody has a monologue. I know. About it. Like, there there's too lot. many there monologues. Yeah, there was like, what lot. am I watching? Anime? <laughs> like, everyone's having an internal monologue. <sighs> Anyways, back to the thing. Back to the thing. Yeah, I don't feel like we could keep going about it. I'm trying to think if there was anything. Um... Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I did see that Carpenter initially wanted or envisioned one single unchanging monster. But then the FX artist was the one who came up with the idea of it changing and being able to look like anything. Which was cool idea. I like, agree. Because yeah. I think if he would have done an unchanging monster, I think it would have been too much like the old 1951 mm-hmm. type thing. Well, um, then the element of trust wouldn't have been a thing. No, you, you'd lose that mm-hmm. level of paranoia, mm-hmm. which is what really adds to the movie. 
Agreed. like adds to the tension and everything. Um, yeah, it's uh, it would have been a very different film. It would have been more of a monster film. Yes, and yeah, I agree. It's like that was a good. What I like hearing about that is that Carpenter heard and listened to someone's idea, yeah. thought it was good, and went with it. Like, that's huge. Not most directors will. Well, and, 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 and now you say that, you can almost understand where their $100,000 special effects budget was from originally. Totally. Yeah, if we do just one creature in a suit and that's it, yeah, it's hundred k that'll be enough. No, we're going to change it every time. Oh, okay, we're going to need some more money. <laughs> No wonder he was working 22 hours a day. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, I like the poster. Yep. So the poster of the man with the light coming from his face. It was designed and drawn within 24 hours without any knowledge of the film. Oh, wow. Which I think is very interesting because it is perfectly suited for this movie. Yeah. There's actually um, a couple years ago, uh, NECA released... A special edition figure of it. It was a San Diego Comic Con exclusive, and I got a hold of one. And so the figure is of the person standing there, mm-hmm. and it's all black. And the face, there's two faces you can put in. One's just like a plain white face, but it's got a light in it, oh. so it lights up. Oh, it does, like yeah. And then there's a second face where it's got the lines coming out, like in the poster. Oh, cool! And it also lights up, and it's just it's a, a gorgeous figure. You're like, ooh. I'm surprised <laughs> you're not getting that tattooed on you because it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous, but there's just so much. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. Got to pick and choose what you will. I need to pick and choose, right? But I, I need to have the spider head yeah. and the Blair monster and Kurt Russell and stuff. So I, I you know, I, I gotta, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta, gotta want to say no, when to say, know when to say no. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I like so many other horror movies, so there are still other horror movie tattoos I need to get. True. Yeah. True. Um. So, I guess during the 2011 filming, they had an enormous number of screenshots from the 1982 version, and they kept them on set while they were filming in order to ensure that the Norwegian station would be rebuilt to the smallest detail. Which it was, so I appreciated that part. Like, it did, you know, it did look good in that sense, and, you know, when it burnt down all that stuff. Um and like you know yeah the axe in the wall and the guy committed suicide but again like i said earlier it felt like they rushed that stuff at the end to yeah. tie it all up so i mean yeah yeah they i i'd read that as well that they took screenshots from the original and were like this is your set building do it exactly like this that would be so stressful it would <laughs> but you know what to do because he also there's you also got the shots of them walking through the camp Yes, that's so, true. There's a lot to pull from. But it was interesting how they're like, you know, shit, there's a hole in the wall. Okay, how are we going to put a hole in the wall? <laughs> <laughs> so, it was cool. Mm-hmm. A lot of fourth, pre, preconceived forethought would have to go into those kind of details. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that is all of my notes. So... Really quickly, was there anything about the original that you didn't like? You know, I've always tried to think about something I don't like about a movie. 
and I just have a hard time mm. trying to find something I didn't like about it. I mean, that's probably why it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I could just watch it at any time and just enjoy it from start to finish. Um, you know, I, I love everything about it. The special effects, the music, the acting, you know, cinematography. Every, everything's just... For me, it's it's a perfect movie for me. It's a per- oh, and I love that. It's a perfect movie for you. Yes. Because it looks good. It feels good. Well, yeah, I guess it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's like, for, for me, it, it, it hits all the marks. Mm-hmm. And it's also one of those ones where 40 years later, it still looks good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of refreshing, actually, watching it with today's eyes, because... Everybody's so accustomed to like the shitty CGI from it part one and part two, you know, yeah. that's, it's like half cartoon at this point. So yeah, pretty much. It's nice to watch a movie, even though it's unbelievable, but it's nice to see how much effort and thought process would have to go into that. Yeah. And then of course, you know, like I've said before with the special effects in it because it's all practical you get that the the textures that it's real it's something i can touch mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's not of a real thing of course but it's like it, it's it's something real that the actors interacted with they instead of have... looking off into the distance and you can see they're not actually looking at it okay now <laughs> there's gonna be a tento coming at you okay <laughs> pretend <laughs> and i mean i mean that's what also what's going on right now in Hollywood with the strike is the whole AI mm-hmm. fiasco. I mean, somebody had posted a comparison photo from um, that Disney series, Secret, Secret Wars. Um, I don't know that. It's, it's, a, it's a Marvel series with Samuel Jackson, and there's a shot of him sitting in a chair with a credenza behind him with a gun in his hand. And then it showed the spots that were CGI'd in. The credenza behind him was CGI'd in. The wallpaper was CGI'd in. Half the gun was CGI'd oh in. God. The eye patch was partially CGI'd in. I'm like, what? You can't even put a freaking credenza behind somebody at this point. Like, you gotta CGI everything. It feels like a patch. Yeah, the eye patch and everything. What? Like, and the gun in his hand was half CGI. The fuck, really? So it's like it feels like Hollywood wants to have just a green room, pretend whatever's in here. And then we'll CGI in the rest. And it's just... It's sad. That's going to make us feel so removed as the audience. Because part of the appeal is that you're feeling what they're feeling in the moment. Yeah. And good acting can only take you so far. Exactly. And also, even though I said I watched the 4K of it, I remember when the whole high def thing was coming in a few years ago. And if you went to London Drugs and they had... A TV set up playing The Dark Knight, which I love that movie as well. And they had like the motion smoothing thing mm-hmm. turned on. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at it going like, this looks like garbage. Because like, but it's all clean and whatever. I'm like, yeah, but it smooths out the background and the foreground. So everything's in complete crispness. So you lose that depth. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm watching this movie on a phone handy cam that's mm-hmm. like... It takes you away from it, so you got to have that. So you prefer watching it with that um, 
Not the th- what is what is it called? It's just depth. Like yeah, if if the background is crystal clear and the foreground, you lose that blur in the background, which makes it seem like it's you know it's mm-hmm. far away and whatnot. Mm-hmm. What is that? What is it called? I can't remember. I know there's a it's, term it's for like it. a true. It's like a motion, true motion, uh, yeah. smooth motion or smooth true. I care what it's called. Yeah. But my friend, when he when I got my new TV a couple of years ago, was like, "I'm coming over to turn it off because I'm like you better because I can't find it and movies look like garbage. Please come over." And he turned it off and it looks good now. <laughs> yeah, people love that, don't they? Oh yeah. And I mean, some movies just look better when they look like shit. Mm-hmm. Like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the appeal of it is to look kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. That's the part of the aesthetic. Yeah, it makes you feel kind of dirty, and you're like, "Oh, what is this?" Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Mm-hmm. And I will say that the new anything that they do now, new with that really high definition, and they try to make it a dirty aesthetic like that. Looks so fake. It's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah. Something is just it's. I don't know. The only I can only think of maybe one or two movies in the past decade that I've watched like that, like Midsummer, for an example. Yeah, that's it's crystal, it's clear, it's beautiful, but it's fucking terrifying, and <laughs> disturbing, and haunting. But there's not a lot of movies that have that good marriage, right? Where it's pretty but also gritty at the same time. Well, it's hereditary. Hereditary had had less of that though. It was grittier. Yeah. It was like the aesthetic. But was it was clean, a, gritty. F- fair, fair. Yeah. A bit cleaner for sure. I mean, that's a twenty-four for you. <laughs> that's Ari Aster. Not all a twenty-four is as perfect as Ari, but uh, yes, yeah. So, do you have any final thoughts? Go watch the original. Pretend the 2011 one doesn't exist, <laughs> and go watch the 1951. And if you can't find the PS2 game, oh yeah, see, I'm not a gamer, but that would be a game that would be amazing. But I mean, nowadays you can go on YouTube and somebody has a playthrough of it. True, but I would want to play it. Yeah, I, I would imagine that game would feel scary. What was funny is though, because it was PS2 era, so it was good, but it was like it wasn't as advanced, mm-hmm. so. When one of your teammates was about to turn, you knew when it was going to happen. Second time playing through, so you're just like, oh, he's one of the things. I'm going to take his guns and ammunition away so he can't use it on me and I have that ammo and guns. And then he, you turn around, he changes, you kill him. <laughs> Fair. So, yeah, it was there was little tricks like that about it, but it was a good game. And I was actually really hoping that, like... Sony would just do a remaster of it or just even just re-release it. Don't don't even do anything, just re-release it so we can play it again on the new PlayStation. Yeah, and stuff. yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Sony, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining me to talk about this movie and you know, getting me to rewatch it again. Like, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, it was it was super satisfying. I sat out here last night with my husband, those listening, and um he doesn't watch horror movies ever yeah. anymore at all. Oh. Never. Never, never, never. And it's so disappointing. Anyway. <laughs> um, but I was trying to take notes. And so I had it on in the background. And I found him actually sitting there watching it. And we were talking about the practical effects. And oh. I was like, 
Yeah, so even non-horror people can appreciate that movie. And there's not a lot anymore. No. You know, the non-horror people will be like, yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, true. So, to take that what you will. (laughs) Well, thank you, Peter. Thank you for having me. We will leave it.